Hello, this is Jackie Shea. Welcome to Too Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. Today, I get to speak with Natasha Cessary, an actor, storyteller, singer, and body and sex positivity advocate. She's an East Coast transplant living in Hollywood, loves reading, hiking, and making tiny things with her hands. Hi, Natasha. Hi. <laughs> I love how you said that last part. It's true. How do you not say it like that? It's I like mean, making tiny things. I set you up for that. Natasha has made me tiny things with her hands, <laughs> and they are beautiful things that are hanging on my wall. Aww. So that's true. That is a fact. Um, so I'm super excited to have you on for the first episode of the new year. It's a really exciting. I feel I feel like it's a momentous time. It for, is for health, her health and wellness. Hellness. Sure. Hellness. <laughs> kind of feels that way. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds and the worst. It's so good. So, um, yeah, I've known you for years, and the reason I, I wanted to have you on not so much to talk about your own personal experience with illness, but because you are an incredible. Um, uh, advocate for yourself in the doctor's office and you're an incredible friend to you were to me and I see you be an incredible friend to other sick people and you advocate for your friends and you're very well educated um uh, you educate yourself on your health and you do not rely and depend on doctors uh so I think that that's all really inspiring and at this time you know, we're in a wellness revolution right now. And I think mm. this whole like doctor knows best thing is, is phasing out. Oh yeah. And I think it's a really good time for people to hear how you have managed to educate yourself and, uh, and advocate for yourself and give some tips. So I wanted to ask you first and foremost, how you came to, uh, be inspired to educate yourself on your health? What happened? So a little bit of background about me in general, my, my, my interest in health and wellness has been longstanding and I have always, always been really passionate about learning about medicine. I come from a long line. There's a lot of people who practice all different kinds of forms of medicine in my family. We have nurses and anesthetists. And before my grandfather started his business, he actually wanted to go to mortuary school. So there's like a very long line of people who want to know how stuff works in the body. And my mother in particular was really passionate about, um, holistic healing way before it was a trend. So we were always aware of really integrated health practices to treat illness, to treat symptoms of illness and to treat the whole. Did anything inspire your mom to be, um, interested in holistic wellness? Uh, well, my mom has, uh, experience with different illnesses than I do. She had, um, she had complications. She actually has had had half of her lung, her left lung removed from smoking about at least it's at least over 30 years ago at this point. But she also had thyroid issues when thyroid was not something that people were really cognizant of and um, had her thyroid irradiated with uh, radioactive iodine. So she has had um, as a result of that kind of longstanding health problems with her thyroid and related endocrine system stuff, which, you know, if you're not that familiar, the thyroid is that butterfly shaped organ in your neck that controls how we metabolize things. So she, she has always sort of had to be ahead of the game as far as learning how to heal herself. She was always really busy. She raised us by herself. So there was a lot of, you know, she had to be really resourceful and learn a lot. And I think she's just really genuinely interested in it. She has always encouraged me to be really interested. I knew all the body parts. My brother knew all the body parts. There were no like euphemisms for things. We, we learned what what our bodies were doing and how they worked really early on. Well, even what you just said about the thyroid, the butterfly that shaped butterfly thing, shaped organ. Right? you know, I mean, I didn't even know it was butterfly shaped and I'm all about this stuff. Yeah, so no, I love, that's my favorite thing about you is that, you know, these, like <laughs> you're like a textbook sometimes. And let me just be very clear. Natasha is not a doctor, nope. has not studied medicine except for in her own time. Right. So this is all, <clears throat> This is the kind of thing, though, that is so inspiring is that, you know, to know a lot, you don't need to be a doctor to know this stuff. No. And um, what I was going to say was it's it, what 
part of what I, part of what I think is really important is when you learn even basic medical stuff, when you learn basic physiology and anatomy, when you learn basic pharmacology, even you do at even a, at even very an introductory level, it does enable you to make health decisions that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. And I think that that's where my, um, where my interest has sort of led me to feel enabled to, to make choices that are not necessarily just advised by doctors, which is great. Yeah. We take control of our lives in so many ways, you Mm -hmm. know, in the Western culture, we, we find so many ways to take control and it's, it's really interesting that this is an area that often, not always, and not everyone, but we leave up to the professionals. Oh, a hundred percent. And, um, it's your life. It's yeah. your life in your own hand, you know, in you're leaving your life into somebody else in somebody else's hands. And that's really interesting to me that we don't yeah. educate ourselves further on that because it seems complicated and hard. And, and for a very long time, I think that doctors were just not gods, but they were considered experts across the board with anything, just not unlike you, you're taught to trust policemen mm-hmm. and women, you're, you're taught to trust doctors and Um, while I don't, by the way, I, there are many people in the medical field in Western medicine that I have so much respect for and have been advocates for me and have been on my side. And I have had amazing doctors who are well-educated and can zoom out and see the whole picture and have helped me immensely. And then there are other doctors who are, um, they're more by the book. They don't, they see singular symptoms as opposed to the whole person, which, as we're learning, and I'm, I know you and I have had many conversations, medicine is becoming so much more integrative. You have to look at the whole picture. It's not just, it's not just a rash. It's not just, it's not just cold sores. It's not just a fever. These things come from somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to say we are not anti-Western medicine, which sometimes that comes across on this show, but I, and I always, I always say on almost every episode, like this is not anti-Western medicine. It's about, it's about really advocating for yourself is often being able to see which doctors are helping you and which aren't like, you know, it's not all doctors are bad. It's find, it's finding one that you do trust. Um, so did your mom end up healing herself from thyroid stuff? I believe she did. So my mother's, my mother's thyroid condition has been ongoing because she doesn't because she treated, because she had treated her thyroid with uh, radioactive iodine, it eliminates the thyroid. So she has to supplement her thyroid activity with thyroid medication and story for a different day, but the thyroid can either be too much or too little. It can be working too hard or too, or not enough. And so the symptoms for either of those can, um, are different and can flip. So you can be hyper or hypo at different points in your life. So she, it's an ongoing thing, but she's, on top of it. And she has also had, you know, other, she had ulcerative colitis that she healed with aloe juice and a bunch of different supplements. Um, you guys, aloe juice yeah, is everything. Tastes like sour water, heals your guts. Love it. Yeah. You don't need to make it at home. I have an aloe plant sitting right there. Yeah. I don't use it to make my own aloe juice. No. I buy... Or for burns. No, I mean, I use it, but I don't make juice with it. Do you use it for burns? Yeah. All the time, man. But I, but I have, I buy Lakewood organic. Um, you don't, I don't like to buy aloe juice that has other like preservatives or or natural flavors or weird stuff in it. I just get, um, Lakewood organic and I put it with water and ice and it's like my favorite thing. It's super hydrating. Really, really good for your intestines. Really good for your liver. It's, uh, it's, um, and can heal ulcerative colitis which exactly. for those of you which i just didn't want to say because <laughs> i know i know i can't home, say it's, it <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just your colon is bleeding so you're and, and and totally inflamed so your your lower digestive tract just can't process can't eliminate waste the right way when it there's just there's a lot of literal blood and guts involved in that disease and it's really painful and a lot of doctors will want to treat that with you know They'll want to treat it with steroids or they'll want to treat it, which, you know what? We're doing the best we can, guys. 
we're all learning. <laughs> we're, we're Steroids. Learning. Yeah. It's the go-to. Yeah. So what, so, so that you have this background yes. in medicine, your family is very interested in medicine or they you come yeah. from a long line of it, but what, what set you off? So it's, it's great that I'm doing this because it didn't occur to me, um, until we were talking before this podcast about my sort of history with, with my own medical stuff for the record. When I was a kid, I was really, really didn't get sick a lot. Um, didn't, I was, I was like the last, the last generation of kids that like really played outside hard. So like bro, you know, bruises and cuts. And that was like pretty much the extent of my, um, injuries, but basically there was a, a big turning point in my life in my early twenties. I was working at a restaurant and, um, in restaurants, there are certain protocols that you're supposed to follow, especially for, um, immunizations because you're working with people and you're working with food. And in the restaurant that I was working in, like many restaurants, and I don't know the law, so I'm not going to try, but I believe it's against, I believe it's part of the law that you have to have immunizations for hepatitis A, which is a foodborne illness that you get, um, from handling in infected food or food that hasn't been cooked properly. Um, so long story short, I was early twenties, really stressed out, partying all the time, drinking every night, hanging out with my friends, just you know, living like an early twenties person and, um, was pushing my body to a limit that was not, that was not healthy. Um, I was really stressed out. Didn't know it. I was really tired. Didn't know it. I was really, um, worn down emotionally and, and, and I will say, and we'll say over and over again, it's a huge component in medical, in, in, um, illness for me, my history of things have often been inflamed by stress. So I got sick all of a sudden and I didn't know why. Um, and I went to, uh, I went to a doctor in the ER who gave me, who looked at me and said, maybe you have bronchitis without much diagnosis. What were your symptoms? <laughs> I was coughing. <laughs> you were coughing. I was coughing and I had had a bit of pneumonia in the past. And so he said, you have bronchitis. Here's the Z-Pak. Um, now again, I really want to stress Z-Pak, super powerful antibiotic, really effective for treating a lot of illnesses. The downside is it's metabolized by your liver and it is a very serious antibiotic. And I had no idea what it was. I took it because I felt sick and I trusted this doctor. And, and he didn't tell you, and this has been a running theme on this show. He did not tell you to take probiotics also. Never. I have literally never heard that from a doctor ever. Shocking. But you always, you taught me that. Oh really? Yeah. You taught me that. Shocking. It's so horrible that doctors don't say that. I think, but it's crazy. And you know, this will come up later, but did not have any sense of what the symptoms, I mean, what, um, what the what normal, what normal side effects were and what abnormal side effects were of this drug. So I had already, I'll f I'm going to jump around a little bit. At that point, I already had hepatitis A. I didn't know that. Hepatitis A generally is a disease of your, it's a liver disease. It's inflammation of your liver caused by in, in, infected food. And, um, it incubates for about six weeks and in a normally healthy person, uh, the symptoms will bloom like a stomach virus and then they go away. Um, I at the time was taking a heavy <laughs> antibiotic that was affecting my liver and my liver was already compromised by hepatitis A and I didn't know. And I was also drinking almost every night and s very little sleep and for bronchitis that you did not have for a bronchitis that I didn't have. And when you're taking antibiotics, you don't drink with them. Did sure. the doctor tell you that? Uh, mm, I'm not sure. I like any completely unaware, not any, sorry guys, not to generalize. I was sort of unaware of my consumption of alcohol or drinking or general lack of self-care. So sure. when they asked me, I'm sure I said I drink a couple of times a week. And by that I meant every night. And by that I meant four or five drinks every night. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> also guys, give your doctor, don't lie to your doctors. 
don't lie to doctors. There's no reason to not, there's no reason to lie to doctors. In fact, I would say, judging by this experience, had I given them more information, I probably could have avoided some of these things anyway. I will say, though, that there are useful times to lie to your doctor, actually, um, that sure. can get you the help you need, which is insane, and I wish that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Also, like just with gynecologists, they're very judgmental when sure. you're not taking a birth control. Sure. Yeah. And um, you can just not deal with the shame of that and lie and say... Uh, I use condoms or I don't mind getting pregnant. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a partner of three and a half years. So yeah. when I say I don't mind getting pregnant, I actually, it is okay. And um, <laughs> I, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, lie about using condoms when you're sleeping with five different ple- people. Please do use condoms. <laughs> yeah. They're a great idea. My point is that I don't like being judged by gynecologists for oh. not taking birth control that is affects me poorly so i skirt around the issue yeah no i'm i'm gonna talk about ways to get into the er leader right so please skirt the line so, so here so, we are breaking the rules yeah feels good um no i meant if you are hallucinating on mushrooms and you go to the er because you think you're gonna die um don't tell the doctor you haven't had any drugs in your system for the last 24 hours that's the wrong time to lie tell your doctors <laughs> that you're on heavy drugs so that they can treat you and they don't treat you for something else or put you in an MRI or put you in a card, like an EKG because it's unnecessary. You want to give your doctors as much information as is relevant and pertinent to your situation, which is sometimes hard to tell. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. It's a, it's a walk the line and you got to figure it out yourself, but definitely don't lie about what drugs you've taken, (laughs) please ever, because that's a recipe. You you will not get in trouble that that's not something that will happen. And it's important to know. It's, I don't think all people know that. I think they're, they're going to, they're afraid they're going to get in trouble and that's not the case. Your doctor, doctor, patient privilege, confidentiality is, is a real thing. And you can tell your doctors that, and they are not going to call your mom or the cops. Um, I think it's important for younger people to know that too. Like if you have a health scare, a pregnancy scare or something, and you go to your doctor, no one's going to get called. That's, that's important. I think to note. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so back to early 20s, Natasha just really living it up, running herself into the ground. She, (laughs) one day I stood up and I almost passed out while I was on these antibiotics. And I thought, hmm, push through it. You'll be fine. My mom thought, you know, I don't think that you should be fainting. Um, Maybe it's the antibiotics. And I said, silly mom, I have to finish all of them before we know if they're working or not. (laughs) She was like, maybe you shouldn't. And I was like, I have to go. Um, <laughs> That's know. actually an interesting point too. That's a kind of a common misconception about antibiotics that you have to finish right. the pack. That's right. huge. I mean, my mother always told me you have to finish have them. To you finish have them. to finish them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't think that that's true. If antibiotics are making you very sick, you do not actually have to oh, finish them. And yes. And absolutely. It was, I think a day, a, the Z pack is a five day pack. I think it was on day three when I finally pulled out the side effects and it was like, Oh, if you experience any of these side effects, please stop immediately and call your doctor. So I did stop when I finally realized something might be wrong from the medication and didn't call my doctor because I'm an early twenties person. I'm going to blame all of this on being early twenties, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> just my incredible ego. Um, and And then one day, a couple days later, I was put, I felt really sick and really um, weak and I just blamed it on being run down and I was putting on my eyeliner and I saw the whites of my eyes had turned yellow and I said, oh, I've jaundiced, which for those of you playing at home, when you, when your liver starts to fail, um, often the bile will back up in your body and your skin will turn yellow, which is a bad thing. If that happens, go to the doctor, which I did. Mm-hmm. And lo- long story short, I went through a series of tests and I had an incredible GI doctor who saved my life. 110% he saved my life because he knew well enough to test for hepatitis when I didn't, that wasn't even on my radar. Um, and basically the reason that this story is important to my own, like journey of self-advocacy and and self-education with medicine is because I got put in a position that I think often women in particular get put in where I had hepatitis 
It now became a health risk for my coworkers. I had to call my job and tell them it's already embarrassing that I'm sick. It's already, I feel bad for, um, not being able to go to work. And, and now all of my coworkers have to get immunizations that by the way, they should have had already, which at the time I didn't realize was not my fault because I got a call from the CEO of my restaurant chain. He called me in my hospital room and he said to me, how you doing? I wanted to check on you and see how you're doing. And I said, I'm doing okay. You know? And he said, you know, this is really horrible that you got sick like this. You know, also this can ruin restaurants. Um, this can really do a lot of damage. So I just want to make sure we're doing everything to, you know, that you'll use your discretion. And in a really manipulative way, kind of played on the sense that this was my fault and that I should hide it or feel bad, like this was something I had done and that I need to be a good, like I need to play along. And it felt so bad because I was, I had, I didn't unknowingly had sort of signed off on saying, yeah, this was my fault and I wasn't going to tell anyone when it wasn't something that I had done. It was his responsibility to protect his employees. And instead I was put in the position of feeling like I had hurt my coworkers and hurt his business. And not unlike, um, not unlike an abusive, anything, any kind of relationship, it made me feel like I can't say anything because this guy's life will be ruined. And about a day later, my GI doctor was ready to discharge me because they had figured out what it was. I had gotten better. My bilirubin levels, which is how they measure toxicity in your liver. Um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't actually know what bilirubin is. Um, but that's, that's how they measure it. Um, they were returning to normal. I was feeling better. I was finally able to eat. And I remember very distinctly my doctor standing at the foot of my bed and saying, you know, we were really worried about you for a minute there. And I said, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. He was like, we really thought, you know, there was a moment there where we thought we were going to lose you. And I, th I thought, I'm 25. <laughs> like, lose me where? <laughs> I had no, I mean, where would I go? Where would I go? Why <laughs> am I going somewhere? I mean, I really had no concept of what my own more, I had no concept of my own mortality. I had no thought in my mind that I could have died from this. And it was a very real, very serious illness. And, you know, it suddenly sort of struck me like no one is going to protect me. No one can really protect me from something like this. And I real, the vulnerability of that and the realizing that I not only got sick, but that I, on top of being sick, blamed myself and felt ashamed for something that I hadn't done, that ha I had not done wrong when actually something had been done wrong to me. The injustice of that felt so bad. But also that you got sick, went to the hospital, and and were treated incorrectly yeah. when you it could have been stopped earlier. Sure, you know, um, and to know that like yeah, you can actually die after going to the hospital and getting a misdiagnosis. Oh yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all of the time, and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, it's one of the biggest reasons to be why you should be informed yourself and educated yourself and, yeah. and advocate for yourself. Yeah. And, and, and your, and obviously your, your employer didn't, didn't take the steps necessary and that, you know, I've been in that position where it's like, wow, I've been treated so with such carelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is up to me to treat myself with care. Yeah. It, it, I think at the time there felt like a very big disconnect. Um, there's been so much, um, animosity towards my, my body from out, from outside and from, and consequently inside. Um, it really felt like my body had done something wrong to me. There felt like a real animosity towards my body, like it had failed me. And then immediately after feeling like, oh my God, I'm actually the villain here. I had put myself in a situation where I was so weak that I could have died. It's a very 
it was just a, a sad, mo- a reckoning moment for me to realize like, I, I'm not, I am not separate from my body. My body is part of me and I have to support it. Mm, I yeah. can't do this. I can't exist without it. And that is for an early 20 fat girl who did not feel okay in her skin. That was a very, very hard moment to digest, uh, reconcile, to, to realize that you need to, yeah. that you need to take care of this girl. That, yeah. that Yes. And, and I mean, the great news is <laughs> the funny thing about near death experiences is that it does give you a sense of, um, priority and it gives you a sense of, um, importance. It, 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 it really felt like, okay. And that was the point from which I quit that job that was kind of killing me. Um, and all the people involved in it, I just, it took that level of, um, toxicity for me to leave. And it was exactly the right thing I had to do. And thank God for that. I'm really grateful that it happened. I don't ever want it to happen again, but you know, it put, it put the onus on me to be, to be looking out for myself and to be on my side. Yeah. Um, I've so. certainly had that experience. Of course I've had that have. experience. <laughs> and um, I fully 100% believe actually know that if I didn't take my health into my own hands, I would have died. And there's yeah. no question about it. Um, Absolutely. Also, if Obamacare didn't exist, I would have died. Also, if, you yeah. know, I didn't happen to find this one doctor or this one person who told me to do this one thing. Mm. Like there are many reasons, but it all trickled down to me, you know, grabbing my health by the balls yeah, <laughs> and my, and my, and taking it into my hands. So you, so that kind of started you on this self-education and, um, advocacy. And I want to kind of, uh, cut to an event that happened recently mm. for you yeah. and how you advocated for yourself after all these tools that you've gained over the years, you recently had a situation with, um, an IUD Yes, that was placed. Um, the Mirena IUD, yes. the hormone, not the copper, the hormone based IUD that right. is plastic, right? Yep. A lot of doctors, gynecologists will tell you to get the IUD that the Mirena IUD has less hormones in it than, than, uh, a pill. Right. Um, or the copper one is suggested if you've had a baby usually, um, because it's harder to place, I guess, but mm-hmm. you had the Morena. Why did you decide to get it? What, what were the, what was the guidance that you received and tell us what happened? So I had, I'd had very painful periods, very, very painful periods. And, you know, preceding my periods going into my like early thirties and where I am now, I'm 34 now. Um, they had become really unmanageable in a way that it felt like I was on a, I was on a prescription for ibuprofen that I would take for two and a half days straight, um, for the first two days of my period. And, and I had sought out oral contraceptives. I didn't like them. They didn't work for me. I'm terrible at taking pills at the same time every day. So that was not a viable option for me. Um, and you know, uh, the Morena had been presented to me by two different doctors and I had outright said, no, thank you. I don't want that. And they were like, why? And I was like, I just don't want something. And I don't want that. Um, and actually the third doctor presented to me, I said, do you have any experience with this? She said, yes, I've had it for two years and it's great. And that was sort of the selling point for me that this woman who was sitting in front of me, which often is how I get medical advice. I talk to people who have had that experience, which is another thing you and I have talked about. It's a great tool. You know, don't go to, don't go to the hardware store for milk, find someone who's had that experience and ask them. But, you know, it felt, I felt more confident to try it. And I was desperate. I was in a lot of pain and, um, so I had the IUD inserted. A friend of mine had had the IUD in for, at that point, about six months already. And she had had some issues, but overall had felt okay about it. Um, so my experience while having the Marina in was fine. It was great. It didn't move. In a lot of women, it doesn't. In a lot of women, it's great. In a lot of women, they have no complications. Um, 
just a side note, it's a T-shaped contraceptive that is inserted through the cervix and in, sits in the uterus in a T-shape. And it, um, it releases small doses of progesterone. Um, so progesterone only birth control. Um, so your brain, which normally produces progesterone, stops when, when it starts sensing that your body ha already has it, it stops producing, sending the message to produce progesterone. A friend of mine, I had watched, um, have an incident with her IUD, the one who had had it about six months before me. She had been having sex the first couple of months that she had it in and it slipped out of place and it was a really painful event for her. And she went to the hospital. She was actually overseas at the time. And um, it had moved, but you already had yours in at this point. No. Oh, you didn't No, okay. Um, I had just known that. And, um, so by the time I had, and she hadn't, when she came back to the States, she didn't, um, have any problems with it anymore. So she didn't go to the doctor and which was fine. Um, but she started getting sick. And at this point I did have the Marina in. she started getting sick and she started getting chronic yeast infections and she started getting, um, some headaches and she had some symptoms that didn't make sense and she was going to doctors and they were telling her nothing's wrong or we don't know what this is or here's another treatment for a yeast infection here's an antibiotic here's a you know so they had been treating the symptoms as they do because sometimes doctors just don't know they just don't know they can only give you what they know and um her symptoms started getting worse and they started turning into sort of semi neurological symptoms. Anyway, uh, one day she called me and I could barely make out her voice because she sounded like she was having a stroke. She was slurring her words and she was talking extremely slowly like this, something's wrong. And I will never forget. <laughs> I had told her a couple of like weeks before you might want to get that IUD checked and she was like, no, they told me it's not the IUD, that it's fine. Um, and I, she called me and I, she said she needed help. So I took her to the ER and this is where it gets really important, um, for women in particular. Um, I, this is my opinion. If you are in an emergency situation, which she was, by the time I picked her up, she had like almost full paralysis on one side of her body. She couldn't use her arm. She could barely talk. She was pan hyperventilating and panicking. She thought she was going to die. And she couldn't walk very well at all. We got to the ER and no one else, I'm sure people have had this experience. You run into the ER like something is terribly wrong. And people look at you like, what's the rush? Like we're in the ER. You're already here. Everyone sit down, take a seat. So it became very clear to me when I was yelling at the security guard to get a wheelchair because my friend couldn't walk, that this was not going to be taken that seriously. So I went up to the desk when I got in the ER and I said to the, to the nurse, my friend fell, she hit her head, she's already thrown up once, something is wrong. Which to an ER attendant for the record signals a head injury, which is priority. So guys, there's a way to lie. <laughs> listen, so guys, listen. If you need to get into the ER, sometimes bleeding and paralysis doesn't, won't, won't cut it. So you need to lie. Sometimes paralysis won't cut it. So awful. I mean, she, she clearly couldn't move one side of her body and I was holding her up and she's taller than me. And I screamed at a security guard. Um, because here's the thing, guys, the one thing I have going for me is I don't mind looking stupid in a medical situation. I don't care. I would rather be wrong. I would rather be wrong and feel silly for 10 minutes than be right and be sick or die. Because that's, that is the reality for me. And that has been the reality in other situations with health is like, I don't, I think we often are worried that we're going to look silly or our concerns are going to be stupid or we're going to ask the, a, a question that's going to, we're going to make, we're going to look like idiots. I, I truly having had the experiences I've had, don't care. Or that we're going to be too demanding right. and annoying and that the doctors yeah. are going to be like this girl, she needs to take it easy. Yeah. And you know, she's so annoying, so yep. demanding. And it's like, yeah, you get to be demanding about your health and you get to be annoying about it and you get to be up people's asses about it. And yeah, look I've, silly. And I've done all of those things. Yeah, you have to. So they saw her and 
ultimately I watched this woman who was in utter terror, a friend who I love very much, panicking, thinking she was going to die, and a male ER doctor saying, nothing's wrong. It's not the IUD. If it had been the IUD, it would only have happened in the first month, all of which is not true, all of which is wrong. Her husband was there. He was really upset that I was asking questions. Again, I don't care. Um, I told him that they might want to check the IUD with a vaginal ultrasound. They said, that's not it needs to be a gynecological emergency. And I said, what is not a gynecological emergency about an IUD puncturing her uterus? And he said, we don't know that. So all around, it was a terrifying experience to watch having an IUD in my body at the time <laughs> and watching my friend basically terrified that she was going to, something was going to happen to her. And for anyone who's been in either situation, it is an incredibly powerless feeling um, to feel like you have more information and have doctors say, no, that's not it, or no, that's wrong, or no, we don't have any science to back that up. So the first thing I did was schedule an appointment to get my IUD removed. I just want to say her, she did, and it did end up being the IUD Absolutely. for her. She, it was a, a really tough uh, time for her to get it removed. Yes. And once it was removed, all of her symptoms went yes. away. She is fine. Um, and many doctors still have not conceded to that being the IUD. Makes me so mad. It makes me furious. So, and obviously of course it does. She's your friend, but you, so you then scheduled your appointment and tell us. I scheduled the appointment and the question went like this. So um, you're thinking about having the IUD removed? And I was like, no, I'm scheduling a removal of the IUD. Okay, and do you want another one inserted after that? Um, no, thank you. And what other kind of birth control will you be getting from us after that? Uh, I'm not going to be. Oh, so you don't want oral birth control? No. And so you're going to talk to the doctor about wanting to get the IUD removed? Nope. I'm going to get the IUD removed. Thank you so much. And then I had another nurse call me back and say, I'm just confirming that you want to talk to the doctor about the possible IUD removal. No, thank you. I am actually getting the IUD removed. Why? Because I hate it and because I think it's dangerous. Oh, okay then. Like that's how the conversations went. And so, you know, there is a part of me that feels very strongly, and I'm thankful for this too, that I can ride my anger like a wave through the situation. It's just like, if I'm angry enough, like I don't, I want other people to know this is not okay. And so every doctor after that, that I saw, I was very clear. I do not want this inside me. I want it taken out. I do not want an additional, um, option. And by the way, some doctors told me we really don't like to remove it unless we're putting in another one because we just, because of Obamacare, this was an actual thing that came up because Obamacare might be ending. We don't know when you might have the other, another option. And I said, that's, that's fine. That's okay. I don't. Did you get it removed on the first appointment? I did. You yes. did. Cause I you did get it removed because yes, I am. And by the way, like the IUD removal process can vary from woman to woman. I saw my friend go through a very painful process where first of all, women in general, and this is listed on the, um, not the CDC, but the, one of the standards committees that rules over this, one of the czars of AMA. health, possibly, um, they, they say that they they rate the risk level of an IUD from one to three or something, depending on a bunch of different factors. And if a woman has any kind of tilted uterus or any uterine abnormality, which often like the vaginal canal is tilted or the cervix is tilted or the uterus is tilted, no woman in that condition, it's rated a three in the risk level, should ever have an IUD. Interesting, because yes. I have a slightly tilted cervix and no gynecologist has ever told me that. And no gynecologist have ever told my friend that either. And when I have asked gynecologists, do you know about this? They say, no, it's usually fine. No. It's not. Wrong. So you got it taken out because because you pushed for it again and again because of what you just described. Yes. Um, and they gave you a hard time about it. Yes. And it's really important to know that if you're being given a hard time about something, you can just really let it roll off your back and know that it's something that yep. is being said for various reasons. I have been given a hard time about so much of oh, what I've yeah. been asked for. And just like you, you just keep asking. And that goes for... That goes for anything, truly, in a doctor's office. If I ask for a blood test and they say, we don't usually do that, I say, thank you so much, I want that blood test. 
Yep, you get to ask for. Yes, so you this do. Is, so will you tell us some of the things that we we have common misconceptions about? Like, what are some of these tr- the tricks to navigating self-advocacy in doctor's offices? Like, what are you allowed? Some things that I know, for instance, are you are allowed, every time you go get your blood drawn, you always can ask for a butterfly needle mm. and you can always lie down. Those are things that I always ask for. Yep. Sometimes they roll their eyes at me. I do not care. I have fainted and fallen out of the chair. Yep. I always ask for a butterfly needle and to lie down at the gynecologist you are always allowed to ask uh to use a smaller speculum mm-hmm. um which is something we just recently learned yep. so what are some of the other uh tricks so uh one of them to that note is uh, i pl- i i mean i do not pass out from blood from blood drawn but you i would absolutely play that card i would say every time i get blood drawn i would i pass out so you tell them that right up front and guess what? Nurses are tired and they're overworked and they don't want to pick you up off the floor. So if you can tell them that right off the bat, they're going to do everything they can to support you from not falling and passing out. So, you know, again, that's a great time to lie. <laughs> like if you don't always pass out, if you've passed out once, if you feel a little, whatever, they have juice, they have graham crackers. I promise you this. You can make sure that you get everything done. If you have a low pain tolerance, if you have a low pain tolerance lead with that, tell them that I will say as a side note to this, as a caveat in the, in, in light of so much opioid abuse and so much um, painkiller abuse, they're going to be really careful about that. But again, like if you have a low pain tolerance and you know that, you can take an ibuprofen before your before your visit. Take an ibuprofen if you're getting you know a, a procedure where you're worried you're going to experience pain. You can do that for yourself. You can. Um, another one is you absolutely, absolutely can ask for someone else to be in the room. You can bring a friend. You can have a nurse come in. If they fight you on that, you can say, I'd like to speak to your manager. And also they do fight you on that. A lot of the time I bring my boyfriend to appointments a lot and they make you him sign a bunch of paperwork that he can be in the room just to make it more annoying. I think, I mean, cause, cause I think it's a legal thing, but also they roll their eyes. It's annoying for them. It takes up time. And I just say, can we please wait? Till he gets in the room, yeah. till he's done signing that paperwork, because yep. I, I need somebody to be here with me to yep. hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, and and keep in mind too, doctors are not these weird gatekeepers who have all the answers. So I always and often because I have health insurance, state health insurance right now, which means like I go to a lot of teaching hospitals, I go to a lot of um, facilities that are training um, nurse practitioners, they're training doctors, they have a lot of residents running around doing procedures, and then they'll have the doctor come in and check, which is fine. But I will ask you how many years you've been in your residency, how long you've been in this rotation, what, how many times you've done this procedure. I will ask you, um, if you've had any bad experiences, you can ask all of those things. They will not like it. Ask it with a smile. Say, I'm just like, I'm just get really, you know, I just like to know. I'm just curious. You can tell them that and you can ask them, you know, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever have, if you have a, if you have an irregular, if you have some normal abnormality, or I don't even want to call it an abnormality. If your cervix is tilted, you can say to an, uh, an OBGYN, do you have much experience with women with tilted cervixes? Do you have experience with, you know, um, IUD removal, um, Side note, my friend had to go to three different doctors to have that IUD removed, and two of them because they couldn't find it. It took one uh, OBGYN who who, um, specialized in removing hard-to-reach IUDs. You know, uh, another thing is... Another thing, actually, that I really want to mention is... um, is that when you get blood work done, you actually don't need to wait for your doctor to receive the results. Nope. You can sign up online for whatever lab you're using and you can get the results emailed to yourself. I always, always get my own blood test results. You always want to get copies of all of your work. When I get chest x-rays, when I get um, any x-rays or any work done, I I make sure to go to the facility and get my own copy. I never wait for a doctor. Um, and then I keep a file folder of all of my blood test results. They all come to me first. I do the research on my own. I do not wait for a doctor to tell me what things mean. Yeah, it's a really, it's it's such a good point. And this is the part where I think people get overwhelmed. Like, well, I don't know how to read test results. I don't know what this thing means. You know, 
there I don't advocate for the internet all the time in terms of in terms of illness, especially if it's a mystery illness, but I think that is an excellent place in two areas in looking at blood test results to understand even a little bit what they are or why they do them. And that's another thing. If your doctor is taking blood tests, I always ask what they are. I ask why. If they're prescribing a medication, I ask why. I ask what it is. I ask what are the side effects. You can ask all those things. And it always makes me laugh when I see any kind of medical commercial. It's always like, talk to your doctor if you have any questions. It's like, we don't hear that because we don't think to ask doctors questions because we think that they're they're just right. Well, there's often a bedside manner situation too. Sure. And, and they're often um, agitated and in a yep. rush to go someplace. Yep. Um, and and it becomes scary to yeah. ask them questions. And uh, so that's been my experience a yeah. lot of the time where they don't want to give you another five minutes. Sure. Uh, but you can demand it. Yeah, you can demand it. And here's the other backdoor kind of road to that is um, be nice to the nurses. Really, I... I tell this to people when they don't have a lot of experience in being in especially bigger facilities, but like get your nurse's name, ask her what her name is or his, like learn these people's names, not because you're going to be there all the time, but because these people are overworked. They are seeing back to back patients. They're into doing intakes over and over again. It gets really monotonous. People need stuff all the time. They're tired. They're hungry. Ask them how their day is because honestly, if you're waiting in your room and this has happened to me so many times, if you're waiting in your room and you feel like your doctor has forgotten about you, you can like poke your head out. And I have many times in the hallway and been like, Stacy, do you know where they are? Do you know if, is he taking like a coffee break? Is he going to, do you know, just asking like just, you know, the bedside manner thing goes both ways. I think that when we're kind to doctors and we approach them as people who are knowledgeable in their field and as someone, I just want to understand what you're, I want to understand what you know, they're way more willing to work with you. Yeah. It's not a defensive questioning. No. Um, sometimes for me, I have gotten very defensive because oh, I get ditto. so, I get so angry, uh, and I get so, uh, blaming and accusatory and, um, I leave in anger and I don't blame myself for that. I think it's really hard to be in my position a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, and, but it is best. I love that bedside manner goes both ways. It does. And, and you know, often this is probably just, this is personal because my aunt, because I have a couple of family members who are nurses, like, um, they really know the ins and outs, especially in a hospital because there'll be eight or 10 nurses to a doctor. And so they're really the support system and they are the lifelines in a, in a, a bigger facility. They know where the doctors are. They know which ones are good to go to for certain things. They know which ones aren't. And so if you can, especially if you're in a position where God forbid you're overnight in a hospital or you're, you know, talk to those nurses because they really do know what's going on. They know the ins and outs and they often, I've seen many nurses weigh in on things where they were totally right and the doctors were not cooperating mm -hmm. and it's hard. It's hard to be in that position for them too. So just, you know, I try to like, I try to work with them because they're often more accessible. Right. Yeah. And take your time and do the research on your doctors. And this is not, I feel like this has been kind of a scary podcast about the terror of, of uneducated or uninformed or, or, um, lackluster doctors. But I mean, I, there are plenty of doctors that you trust that I trust. And oh, it's yeah. just about doing the research and, um, uh, also being able to take care of yourself. I've always said that I am my primary caretaker and yeah. that I am my primary care <clears throat> physician and that everyone else is holding up. And I go to many different doctors and I get many different opinions and, um, I get to make the final decision and the final call. And, oh yeah, absolutely. You, sometimes we are made to feel bad about that or like, uh, our decision is incorrect and that is, that is not the case. Um, right. So that's, that's very useful. We have to kind of wrap up. Is there any, are there any, some, any, uh, final tips or gems that you want to mention? I just think the biggest thing is for me, I think, and this is like a lifelong process for, for most of us, but I think just really understanding and getting to know your body and getting in touch with what is 
regular for you, what works for you, what feels good in your body, what doesn't, it really makes it easier how your body looks. If you have moles, if you have like certain things, not because everyone's going to get sick, but because we all are a little bit different and we all need different things. Our bodies need different things. And I just think it's so important to not feel, I think often I felt, I have felt crazy or felt like, I'm overreacting when something feels wrong and truly most of the time I've, I've been right. So your body is an incredible barometer for what's going on, both mentally and physically and emotionally. All of those things are working to support you. So try to, try to be befriend your body and listen to what it's telling you because it is, it is the best lie detector out there. It is such an incredible tool. It is doing everything it can every day to support you and keep you alive. And I just think that that's, it's that's such a beautiful, no, it's such, it's an important thing. And, and I, at too high of a cost have I learned that lesson before. So I'm just, I'm grateful to be here and I'm, I'm grateful that I keep listening to my body and keep learning. Um, that's beautiful. And, and, uh, to that point, um, you can do things like keep a journal. Uh, yeah. If you need to keep a journal on your symptoms and how you feel, you can you can give yourself cervix exams, yes, cervical sure exams. Can. And um, for those of you out there, by the way, if you've ever felt your cervix and you tell your doctor, I felt my cervix and they say, but how? You go, because it's four inches in. Yeah. Because you know where it is. You can totally feel your cervix. Yeah. It is not, not everyone, not all the time, but it's a. You it's know. something you can do. It's something you can do. Um, you you can take your temperature every day. Know what's normal for you. Mm-hmm. You can you can do all sorts of things, and um, you can meditate to get more in your body and be less distracted and yep. and find out what's normal for you. And just uh, there's a whole lot of self trust involved and a whole lot of self love and self care involved, yeah. which is which are topics on my blog and on other episodes. And, um, this, this was a huge lesson and in tremendous self-care and self-love. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're incredible. Such an inspiration. So as this new year kicks off, we hope, I hope that you can find a way to take your health into your own hands and educate yourself and be more of an advocate for yourself in those scary situations. Um, you just might get a great reward for that. You can find Natasha on Instagram at funnygal83. She is hilarious. Um, <laughs> Not that good at coming up with the names, but it, that's that's what it is. It's kind of on the nose. Funnygal83. I'm 34. <laughs> Do the math, guys. It's just like a it's just like a screen name. <laughs> on the nose. I love it. Um, and, uh, and you can DM her for any, any extra questions or yeah, please do. Uh, and slide into my DMS anytime. You can certainly message me with any extra questions and, uh, please subscribe to this podcast and we will see you next week with more goodness. Thanks guys.